Today on Rank Amateur, we will be doing the Tier 8 non-premium German battleship, the Bismarck. Uh, so yeah, Bismarck, it goes without explanation, it is basically the most played, and it actually is the most played ship in World of Warships according to World of Warships stats. According to that website, it has 7,230,769 battles as of the recording of this episode. So yes, uh, very very much played ship uh except i am not one of those players who's played this ship and you might be asking well why are you doing a video on this well there's two reasons it's a historical ship actually there's three reasons it's a historical ship i have just gotten a bunch of new ships on my account that i'm still figuring out how to play and everything like that so they're i know them well enough to be able to do a tutorial on them and third uh there was a request for me to do such a ship. Uh, another emailed request from the same person. Uh, and you might be asking, well, why are you listening to a request from the same person? And the reason why is because the other person who submitted a request on my anchor page um, submitted a request for the Yamato. And uh, while I have nothing against the Yamato, I am actually gr actively grinding out the Japanese battleship line, and so that's what line you'll see next coming through this this podcast. So I, um, I was, I'm not going to do a, pre a preemptive video on Yamato when I haven't actually played it, and uh, this is just so that uh, I can get the most accurate tutorial on how to play the Yamato because I will have played it myself. So... That is why. And the person who asked for this is um, Wyatt Ellis. Asked, he said that he loved the episode on the Andrea Doria, and he asked if I can do uh, something on Yamato or Musashi. Well, Musashi is a rare ship, and I do not have Musashi, so that that's off the table. But I'll definitely do Yamato, uh, Mr. Ellis. I will, I will do it in the near future. It's just that I will not be doing it now. Now, the other person who suggested that I do the Bismarck, uh, Tom Field, he said... Uh, um, that he would like me to do an episode on the Bismarck, and uh, thank you for doing the episode on the Andrea Doria. All right, so we will be doing that episode on the Bismarck, but as per usual, we will be going through World of Warships news first, and there has been a lot happening. All sorts of uh, different uh, events that are coming through, because in, sp in spirit of the holiday season, World of Warships just goes absolutely insane about Christmas, and I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, so Black Friday event ended in the time since our last episode. Uh, the Admiral of the North has arrived in the armory. Uh, that is the HNLMS Tromp. I did mention that a little bit. Um, it is now in the armory for coal, so I do not recommend buying it. But uh, just out of cash, unless you have a lot of cash. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I did not give this thing positive uh, a positive view uh, last time or in the last episode, and anybody who's listening to that will know it. Um, but I viewed that as being a little too harsh now, viewing some more my gameplay and things like that. Um, with Trump, it's 
It's kind of like the Forest German, which is interesting because the Forest German is a ship I just got, by the way. I'm not, I wasn't joking when I said I'll get the Forest German and be able to review it for you guys. I actually have that now, and the review will probably be coming out maybe January or so. Um, maybe a little earlier than that. And uh, the Tromp. It's, uh, it's a bad ship with really good guns. Um, I mean, I hesitate to say really good guns, but good guns, and the fact that they're actually, they're lasers, they have basically zero air drag coefficient, um, they are pretty accurate, they're fast reloading, they hit really hard, um, which is interesting because all the other Dutch guns are pretty anemic when it comes to hitting power, but, uh, that's good. The airstrike is interesting because it's not your traditional Dutch cruiser airstrike, it is, well, it does still take time to get, uh, hits on the target, it the par the bombs are not parachutes so it's harder to avoid them they just fall like normal bombs so that is definitely strong uh, obviously the torpedoes are pathetic um but they do reload pretty fast so it's not like you're going to get a huge strike off on them but you can just keep them continuously firing um and that seems to be kind of the the correct play style of this ship i guess from what i'm watching from uh, community contributors and stuff is if you're weapons are reloaded they better not be and what i mean by that is as soon as your weapons are reloaded you're sending them downrange torpedoes reload send them downrange guns reload send it downrange like the you should not have your weapons reloaded for a significant amount of time um obviously really large health pools that's cool the bad thing is that it doesn't have a smoke screen i feel like it could have used a smoke screen i mean it has that cool speed boost i guess but I did not having a smokescreen or a heal part of it is kind of unnerving. It means that you have to walk on eggshells to play the ship, and that's kind of the playstyle of most of these Dutch ships. Is you really have to walk on eggshells because they're super fragile, or they don't. You can't count on them hitting really hard in case of the Gindaloo at tier ten because the guns aren't that accurate. So you really, you really do have to kind of walk on eggshells and play very, very carefully, but not too carefully that you don't do anything. And that's the problem with the Trump, and that's why even though it's a real ship, I didn't go for it when I was spent my coal yesterday, just because the Forest Church allows you to allows you to play a little bit more aggressively than the Tromp because of that get out of jail free card that's the smokescreen once the Tromp gets overextended it is screwed like there is no way you're surviving something when you get overextended if the if the enemy team has any sort of brain now some would argue that you're supposed to play this ship from really long range, and I actually, I agree with that, but some people do tend to be a little bit more aggressive with their destroyers, and if that's you, maybe this ship really isn't for you. So I probably won't be getting the Tromp for a while, if ever, but uh, that's just kind of my, my take on the Tromp. So um, uh, as far as uh, new things in World of Warships go, we got the Discord Advent Calendar, December Advent Calendar that came out, um, the Admiral uh, Ushakov and the Sikiryu, uh, Sikiryu, uh, the super battleship for Soviet Russia, and the um, super carrier for Japan have come out. Now they're in this weird early access stage where you can buy them for doubloons or through, the, or no, through the lighthouse auction, and it it's just not worth it. The minimum bid is a hundred million credits. Why I don't know why you wouldn't just wait, like, just just wait to get it. I mean, the Admiral Ushakov is literally a 
upskilled Kremlin in everything but guns. The thing is massive. In the Black Friday um, port, or the naval port, if you put it, most battleships sit in the dry dock. Now, technically, they don't fit because they're water lines above the actual dry dock walls, meaning that they could be floated out of the dry dock. But the Admiral Ushikov doesn't fit in that dry dock. It doesn't fit lengthwise. So what Wargaming had to do was put it out in the port that, or in the... Um, uh, in the water that's outside the dry dock, in the little bay. <laughs> that's how big this ship is. Now, security is not that big. It's basically kind of like a United States. Um, I mean, it's a well-armored Japanese carrier. It's probably going to be a nightmare to face. I haven't actually seen one yet, nor have I seen an Ushikov, because I think the Wargaming, or the uh, World of Warships player base is smart enough to know not to buy them yet. But, um, yeah... So that's that. Uh, now we have update 11.11. .11. And 11.11 .11 is, you know, the new year. Um, so we get all the Christmas events and things like that that are uh, that come around at this time of year. And Wargaming, I, have, I will just go out and say, has done an excellent job as far as our department is concerned. The new port is just amazing. I mean, I thought London was good last year. But the art department, as usual, is hard carrying. And the um, this new Santa City port is absolutely beautiful. Um, so now, what other festivities will we be having with um, uh, this? Well, you know, you got your usual Santa containers. And, and new aesthetics this year, they're like weird little like house ornament things. It's kind of strange, but I mean, I, I like it. Um... These are the only containers throughout the year that aren't actually a 100% scam. Um, they're actually pretty good. There's no reward here other than maybe the the one camouflage that you can get that has a 5% chance of dropping. Uh, th that's that. Uh, other than that, I mean, I feel like everything here is a pretty pretty good bargain. I mean, especially if you don't go nuts on them, you just buy maybe like five or six of them and just open them just to see what you get. Um, I don't I don't see a problem with that, uh, considering that even the smallest container has a 2.5% chance of dropping a ship. And you ask, well, how likely is, is that to drop a ship? Like, in reality, uh, it's fairly likely, um, considering I got a ship, actually, um, this year. This is the first time in my five years of playing World of Warships that I've ever gotten a ship from a container, even super containers. Um, what ship did you get? Well, I got the Anshan. So, I mean, Anshan, arguably the second best Pan-Asian ship right now, next to the Loyang. Um, and some people argue that the high-tier destroyers with their Torp Reload Booster are good. I don't think so. Um, I, I still think that the Loyang and Anshan are the best. I mean, the, the new cruisers are good, especially anti-aircraft, but I would argue that the Loyang and Anshan still are better because they have good DPM, they're well-established in player base, they don't get deleted as soon as Battleship looks at them, they have, uh, they both have smoke screens, obviously, and uh, they have good detection, good torpedoes, uh, good guns, it, they're just all around good, there's no real downside to them, and then you look at the tier 8 and above cruisers and like, they have the worst hit point pull at their tier, why would you play that? Now, they have good DPM, but their guns can't pen anything, and they good luck hitting something at 12 kilometers or more. So, yeah, that's why I like these ones better. So, I was pretty pretty ecstatic to actually get a shipping container, because that does not happen for me. So, the, uh, the small container has a 2.5% chance of getting a ship, and uh, you can get rare ships and everything like that. Like, you can get a Thunder, a Malta, an Immelman... Uh, they actually put the... They're putting dockyard ships in there now, so you got a Heisen... Um, you can get a Julio Cesar, you can get an Anchorage, a Kutuzov, 
Uh, obviously very rare that you're actually going to get this. There's a 0.1% chance you're going to get any of these ships. Um, you can get a Benham, uh, Kamikaze, Grimmy Ashi. Um, there's Odin. Yeah, you can get an Odin as well. So no, you can't get any of the, de uh, the recent dockyard ships, but you can get some of the ones that have uh, been out there for a little while. Um, and then the big gift container, so second level up, you have a 9% chance of getting a ship. Uh, you can get one or 90 days of World of Warships premium as a 1% chance. Uh, and a 1% chance in the Santa's gift container gets you 30 days of premium account. And a whole bunch of signals and things like that. 7,500 coal, 1.3 million credits. I mean, it's pretty good. The rewards are pretty good this year. Uh, I mean, you can sometimes you only get 10 economic boosters. and I mean, I guess that's not as good. Or you can get 15 camels, which is really not as good. But um, the vast majority of these, considering I'm low on signals everywhere, would be fairly useful to me if I, if I were to go out and buy them. And I might go uh, buy some for my friends and just send them over to their accounts, you know, just as a small little, I guess, stocking stuffer, quote-unquote. But, um, yeah, really not bad. I mean, I don't, I don't think... I don't have anything against Santa's gift containers. I mean, if you want to go, if people want to go blow their money on these, that's their problem. But I, yeah, I wouldn't see it being bad spending like fifteen to thirty bucks on these. Uh, in the in the mega gift containers, you got a sixteen percent chance of getting a ship, a one percent chance of getting a hundred and eighty days of uh, of uh, premium account. You can get twenty five hundred balloons, twelve thousand five hundred coal, or two point two five million credits. So really. Not bad. Uh, you, as far as um, on the mega gift containers, you have a 12% chance of getting a tier uh, five to tier seven ship, a 3% chance of getting a uh, tier um, tier eight to tier nine ship, and a 1% chance of getting a tier ten ship or a rare ship, and 7% chance of getting a tier five to tier seven ship on a big gift container, a 1.5% chance of getting a tier eight to tier nine ship, and a 5% or 0.5% chance of getting a tier 10 ship or a rare ship and then uh, also now we have the dockyard uh it's gonna be the, the ship being constructed is german this time it's called the admiral schroeder and it seems pretty good actually um I, me and my friends have been building them out on uh world of warships fitting tool and it, it seems decent like if you go for like a hybrid secondary main gun build like this ship would be formidable at medium to close range it's got good armor good health pool um, and the accuracy is pretty decent. I mean, it's kind of questionable at long range, but I mean, it's all right. Um, you got hydro speed boosts, all the consumables. I believe it has torpedoes as well. Um, yeah, I, yeah. So she has a hydroacoustic surge. She has tor uh, good concealment. I forget if she has torpedoes or not. Um, Oh, nope, she doesn't have torpedoes. So that's something that's a little bit against her. I mean, she's got 59,300 hit points. I mean, the secondary armament consists of 150s and 128s, which means you can pen 32 um, with all your secondary batteries. Now, they're not as accurate as Napoli's. They don't get that secondary buff. So they're not... You can't build only into the secondaries on the ship. I would spend most of your points on... Um, uh, on... Uh, main guns and, and survivability and stuff but i mean to throw like maybe a secondary mod uh like maybe in the third slot on there instead of throwing aiming systems i don't see a problem with that i think that would make your secondaries quite formidable um and the main the, the range is 9.54 kilometers and you can extend that range further if you really really want to build into that um uh a little bit you can't really extend it that much um 
but I mean, it's it's all right. I mean, nine point five four is pretty much what you're gonna get to. Yeah, yeah. So because the only thing that's gonna modify the range is that third mod. So yeah, nine point five four kilometer range. I mean, it's not bad. Now it might tempt people to rush in and die instantly, but you know that's kind of their problem, I guess. Um, and I mean, concealment can go down to I think like around ten or so. Uh, you're looking at 10.2 kilometers for a battle cruiser, which is pretty good. I mean, it has 305 millimeter guns, and I mean, I, I think that's worth it. It seems seems good, and you can also get the Renown 44 uh, by, for free by just completing the missions. So, I mean, now dockyard ships are an absolutely massive grind. Like, like these are this is the biggest grind in, in World of Warships is the dockyard ships. It is absolutely insane, and um, I mean I did it once with the DZP. I don't really know if I'd do it again because it was like literally every night for like a month I'd go and spend like two hours grinding out the DZP. It was I mean now I finished it way ahead of the deadline because I didn't want to like risk spending money on the starter phases and then not actually finishing it and having to spend more money on it. But I mean if you buy like half the phases and just grind out the rest, I mean it's 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 all right. But it, I mean I would not recommend buying the whole thing out. Yeah, so there's 30 phases and it's 1750 doubloons for each phase. So that's going to cost you uh, 52,000 doubloons if you actually want to just buy it, which I highly recommend you do not do, because that's very expensive. I mean, no ship is worth that much. Um, and you have to buy four phases, so you have to spend at least, you have to spend at least 7,000 doubloons on it to get the Admiral Schroeder. So, uh, it... You know, that's a little pricey of a dockyard ship, if I'm actually being honest. I mean, I think I spent like 4000 on a DZP, so I mean, maybe not that much more, but still. Yeah, and then uh, it's going to be uh, going to span the six weeks of update 11.11 .11 and the first two weeks of update 12.0. And um, yeah, th as far as the combat missions, and the dockyard itself will remain in your ports until the uh, start of update 12.1. So yeah, 12.0 is going to be the first update of the new year. Um, and I believe 12.0 is going to be the Chinese New Year update, I think, if I, if I recall correctly. Uh, in completion of the 19th phase will reward you with Renown 44. And upon in completion of the construction process, you will receive Admiral Schroeder with a Warpaint Camouflage, a Board Slot and Commander with 10 skill points, and a Commemorative Flag. So yeah, just kind of a normal dealio for dockyard ships. Uh, continuing early access for the Japanese cruisers. Now, I thought they were just going to have one early access. I guess I must have read the dev blog, uh, one update of early access. I must have read the dev blog run wrong because, uh, obviously they do have those two updates of early access. Um, and I mean, Japanese cruisers, they seem, they seem very, very solid and very consistent. They're not overpowered. They're not terrible. They're just, they're good. Like, and, I mean, they do have an incredibly long reload time. The Udo has, like, uh, I think an 11-second reload, but it has 18 guns, and they are hit really hard. As far as high explosive, they've got a good fire chance. I mean, the torpedo armaments on these ships are insane. Um, and, and, I mean, concealment's not great. Maneuverability is really good. I mean, it just they just seem like, you know, balanced ships overall. So I applaud Wargaming on putting some ships that aren't game-breakingly overpowered in. Um... New battle passes, uh, as far as, uh, the top, uh, 
uh, reward for a um, for the battle pass. It's going to be a ten point commander, and it's going to be Papa Noel, which is going to be a Spanish Santa commander. I think I have two Santa commanders. I have the Japanese one and the Pan Asian one, so I really want to collect that American commander sometime. Um, yeah, so battle pass, same deal. You know, you get complete certain points, you get rewards and stuff. I don't really recommend buying the premium one. It's not super great. For 2,000 balloons, you don't get that much. I mean, you get you definitely get more rewards than you would with the premium. Um, or with the, the premium, or the non-premium battle pass, but it I just don't see the rewards as being worth it, but I mean, your mileage may vary, depending on what you need. Oh, uh, the uh, the Papa Noel Commander is not premium. That You get that for every battle pass. You get 25 New Year certificates if you uh, if you buy the premium pass, which I think is not a very good reward. I mean, it's better than the reward of getting seven containers, uh, or uh, economic bonus containers from the non-premium battle pass but still uh they have this bounty event going on it's basically like the turkey shoot except you're shooting people who are part of the like a um uh yeah so they're just you're you're a bounty hunter and uh they're they're the bounty basically that's what it is um new brawls coming in uh there's divisions in this uh in this round it's going to be a 5v5 format for tier 7 so you're going to see a lot of synops and hyugas um during this round you'll you can participate as a division as i said before and uh yeah that's pretty much it and in the armory we got trump um i went into that in great detail you got christmas and the new year in the navy containers um yeah and so as far as the content additions uh there's new flags there's um new camouflage the pioneer camouflage um yeah uh, so it's, yeah, Pioneer Patches, um, this is in celebration of the public test, I believe. As far as, uh, content additions, they've removed the Imperator Nikolai I from, uh, Super Containers and added 22 more. So they've added the Huron, Toulon, Rio de Janeiro, Colangwood, Novorinsk, uh, San Diego, Hampshire, uh, and Halt, Wami, Aquila, I-56, S-189, Kamikaze R, Black, Forest German, Kavarask, Alvaro de Bazan, Anchorage, Odin, Heisen, Kerfurst, and Malta, two containers. Uh, or super containers, that is. So, uh, you do have a basically <laughs> a negligible percent chance of getting those ships, but you know that, that you can get them, theoretically. Um... Uh, there's new Italian commanders, just like basic commanders, new portraits and stuff that have been added, uh, more camouflages that have been added, and, uh, yeah, so, um, they're moving some camouflages around and, uh, changing the contents of, uh, Lunar New Year containers, just kind of adjusting the percentages of getting something. Uh, you basically have, uh, 0.9% chance, 0.5% chance of getting a ship in World, in the, uh, uh, Lunar New Year uh, premium containers, or uh, Lunar New Year normal containers, and then the premium containers, you have a much higher percent chance of a 5% chance and a 9% chance, respectively, of getting, um, uh, actually, you have 5% chance of getting a ship and a 9% chance of getting a permanent camouflage for those ships. Um, that was my mistake. And then that changes respectively for the, the um, non-premium containers. So, I mean, the Lunar New Year containers are all right. I mean, they're kind of like the Santa Claus containers, um, I mean, the bonuses aren't as good, but they're still pretty decent. Uh, new training missions, um, that's not really important if you're probably listening to this, because most of us have been playing the game for a little while. Um, there's, uh, 
yeah, the Klauswitz and uh, Dalarna uh, will be offered in uh, the tech tree, and I have seen a few of them now. Um, the ships, the Duplex, Brisbane Z42, Joshua Humphreys, and coming have been, uh, or Kun Ming, have been added for testing. Uh, the Brisbane I'm watching with a particular keen eye. It looks kind of good, except they nerfed it really hard in testing now, so it doesn't look as good, but it's basically a Minotaur with... Um, no smoke and high explosive, and it has to, has to mount radar, which is interesting. Uh, there is uh, also new ships that are being added for um, to test um, uh, unique upgrades for tier ten ships. So essentially, just, they're just adding a bunch of analogs for these ships, and they'll be testing the upgrades and then be deleted after that. Um, and one of the ships that they are upgrading is going to be the uh, Admiral Nakamov. So, yeah, if you didn't think Nakamov was overpowered enough, they're not adding a unique upgrade for that. So, yeah, and then just some miscellaneous bug fixes and updates, small tweaks to armor models and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, so that is it for World of Warships news, and it's time to get on to the history of the Bismarck. And uh, as most of us know, the history of the Bismarck was um, was not long, but it's very, very, very detailed. So I'm going to have to not paraphrase a little bit, but gloss over maybe a few details just to ensure that I don't bore all of my audience. So uh, Bismarck was named for Otto von Bismarck, which is former chancellor of Germany, and particularly Imperial Germany. And, um, yeah, so it was the lead ship of its class, a displacement of 41,700 tons standard and 50,300 tons full load. She had a length of 241.6 meters or 792.8, or 792 feet 8 inches, um, 251 meters, um, or that was at the waterline, and overall it was 251 meters or 823 feet 6 inches. The beam was 36 meters, or 118 feet 1 inch. Yes, this was a very, very wide battleship. Um, the draft was 30 feet 6 inches, or 9.3 meters standard. Uh, she had an installed power of 12 Wagner superheated boilers, which could generate 148,116 shaft horsepower. She was propelled by three geared steam turbines or th or and three screw propellers. Now, she had a maximum speed of 30.01 knots, which is oddly specific, but that was detained during trials. She had a range of 8,870 nautical miles at a range of, uh, at a speed of 19 knots, which is quite fast for a battleship. She had a complement of 103 officers and 1,962 enlisted, which is a fairly large complement. Um, she did actually have some advanced German radar, which was the FUMO 233 Seacatch radar. Um, it was developed in the 1930s by uh, the Kriegsmarine and used throughout World War II. Uh, she contained an armament of uh, eight 380 mm SK-34 guns, so 34 caliber guns, I'm assuming, uh, which was um, the standard German naval gun in the late 1930s. Um, it was to be also to be used on the O-class battleships, so which would have been what um, replaced the Sharon Orsk and Eisenau had they been built. She had 1,250mm SKC-28 uh, guns. Um, those were in uh, six turrets of two. Uh, the primary guns were in four turrets of two. Uh, she had 1,605 millimeter guns. Uh, their SK-33s, those were in turrets of two as well. 16 37 millimeter SK-30 guns and 12 uh, 20 millimeter Flak 30s. 
and um, she had uh, quite a bit of armor. Her belt had 320 millimeters of armor, although her turrets were kind of weak, only with 360 millimeters of armor. The main deck did have 100 to 120 millimeters of armor. Yes, you heard that right. A main deck of 120 millimeters. Obviously not accurate in World of Warships because that is literally insane. Um, she did carry four Arado AR-196 AR float planes and had one double-ended catapult to launch them with. Now, um, uh, so she was uh, designed in the mid-1930s to counter the French naval expansion, which uh, specifically was targeted at their construction of, or their design and beginning of construction of two Richelieu-class battleships, uh, and that was started in 1935. And uh, they, they were laid down after the signing of the Anglo-German Naval Agreement, um, and this just modified the size of the uh, Kriegsmarine, and the Bismarck and her sister turpits were normally within the 35,000 ton limit imposed by the Washington Naval Treaty, but um, this was secretly exceeded by a wide margin. Um, and, and essentially, it didn't matter, though, because Japan had already withdrawn from the treaty by 1937, so um, essentially this... Um, allowed everyone to say, all right, now we can build things up to 45,000 long tons, which the Bismarck were within. It was 41,000 long tons. So Germany didn't actually break a rule, for at least for that long, by building these ships, which I find kind of interesting. Um, yeah, and that's basically what was uh, uh, interesting about the design of the uh, the German battleships. Now, they were the largest uh, ships that Germany fielded in the Second World War. I believe they may have been um, eclipsed by the Graf Zeppelin had it ever been commissioned, but that uh, um, that did not happen. Uh, and they also displaced more than any other European battleship, with the exception of HMS Vanguard that uh, was commissioned after the war. The HMS Vanguard was slightly bigger than the Bismarck. Um, and she was uh, ordered with the name Estraz Hanover, and that essentially meant Hanover replacement, and it was supposed to replace the SMS Hanover, uh, just a uh, pre-Dreadnought battleship that had existed in uh, the German Navy. Of course, you know, it had that huge launching ceremony with Adolf Hitler making a speech, and um, yeah, it really wasn't too... Um, Interesting as far as her commissioning, and um, she was in sea, she began sea trials in 1940. Um, yeah, and then uh, the Bismarck made a measured mile and high speed runs as typical, and uh, there was actually a flaw in her design that was discovered, and um, it was noted that when she was attempting to steer via only altering propeller revolutions, essentially altering the speed of the propellers to push the ship one way or another, uh, the Bismarck could be kept on course with huge amounts of difficulty. So, um, even with these screws, the outboard screws uh, running in opposite directions, they generated only a very slight turning ability, which was not how the ship was designed. It was designed to basically maneuver normally by just altering the way its propellers were rotating. With this notable exception, sea trials went fairly well for the Bismarck, and uh, it was 
a few months before she would see her first major operation. So uh, there was a major operation that was initiated by the Naval High Command of Germany called Operation Berlin. And essentially this just involves sending uh, Tirpitz and Gneisenau into the Atlantic to wreak as much havoc as they could uh, in the allotted time period, and this this went fairly well. And it was planned that they would send the Schornhorst guys now at their Tirpitz and the Bismarck at the same time to the Atlantic to see how many convoys they could sink in a short time. Uh, and this would have worked fairly well, except uh, they the German high command for, overlooked the fact that Tirpitz was running behind schedule on being completed. Uh, Schornhorst was in need of a boiler overhaul uh, after uh, running at high speed during Operation Berlin. And it was noted that the boilers were in worse condition than expected when, upon initial inspection by dockyard workers. Gneisenau had been torpedoed in Brest, France, and uh, was further damaged by bombs and would not be uh, operable for several months. And eventually, uh, this was realized as, you know, we weren't going to have all four of these ships. And... Um, uh, there was uh, attacks by British bombers that disrupt, disrupted um, supply chains. <laughs> we know all about that lately, right? Um, to uh, repair Admiral Scheer and Admiral Hipper. Uh, so most of the heavy British fleet had been out of order. And uh, so most of these ships could not be in action until July or August at the earliest. 1941. So it was determined by the British High Command against the recommendations of the fleet chief of the Kriegsmarine, Gunther Lutyens, which you may recognize as a specialty commander in World of Warships, um, that they would lead the operation with just two ships instead of six. Uh, and the two ships would be the Bismarck and the Prince Eugen. And uh, the Lutyens um, was... Uh, he was very against this operation, even though uh, giving the extra, uh, waiting uh, extra time for heavy units to come online would give the British time to prepare, uh, because of the fact that they were going out into the Atlantic where the whole British fleet lived. In Kiel, they were relatively safe, uh, because the British didn't really use their fleet that much to like directly attack Germany, at least in this period of the war. Um, they, they had done a few things, but not too much, so they were relatively safe, especially in the Norwegian fjords when they had uh, absolute air superiority. Um, so they, <laughs> they were safe there, and they could repair their ships, mostly, and then go out with a larger fleet that would be more difficult for the British to disrupt, and meant that they couldn't just throw ships at it until the problem was solved. Um, however, uh, the Gunther Lutyens was ordered to uh, sail out into the Atlantic. And this operation would be called Operation... Okay, and I'm really trying with this pronunciation. Rheinubung is, I think, that's how you pronounce it in German. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that'll be the only time I say that word. Reinumung, I think, is how you pronounce it. But uh, basically, um, they were, yeah, to sail out into the Atlantic and um, cause as much disruption as they could to Allied shipping. And on the evening of the 19th of May, uh, the orders were given officially for the ships to set sail. Um, so as part of the operational plans, a group of 18 supply ships were positioned to support the Bismarck and Prince Eugen. Just shows you the vast amount of logistics that go into actually maintaining a battle fleet. Four U-boats would be placed along the convoy routes between Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Britain to scout for raiders. 
um, or to scout for the Raiders uh, to check how much um, or to provide intelligence about the convoys and the convoy escorts. And uh, by the start of this operation, Bismarck's crew had actually increased to 2,221 officers and enlisted uh, personnel. And so there was an admiral staff of about 65 individuals and a prize crew, a prize crew of 80 sailors. And these were just to uh, staff like captured uh, vessels, if, if they would capture any, um, and bring them back to Germany. Um, so then at 2 a.m. on the 19th of May, they departed Gotenhafen and made for the Danish Straits. And they were joined by the Prinzoig at 11.25 a.m. and uh, off Cape Arakona, Ar- I think. Danish, I believe. Um, and the ships were escorted by three destroyers and a flotilla of minesweepers. The three destroyers were Z-10, Z-16, and Z-23. And I believe Z-23 is the same one that's in World of Warships. Um, yes, I believe. Looks like the same one from World of Warships. Alright. Um, yeah, so the Luftwaffe provided air cover for the voyage out of German waters. And uh, at around... Noon on the 20th of May, the cruise uh, company was informed of the ship's mission, and approximately the same time, a group of 10 or 12 Swedish aircraft flying reconnaissance encountered the German force and reported its composition and heading. And uh, this was interesting because the Germans didn't actually see the Swedes. It's noted in the documents that the Germans never recorded their presence. Uh, and after that, the German flotilla encountered the Swedish cruiser H. Uh, HSWMS, jeez, HSWMS Gotland, and uh, the cruiser did shadow the Germans for about two hours, and uh, Gotland was uh, that seaplane cruiser, uh, seaplane carrier rather, uh, of the Swedish Navy. She was armed quite formidably with 652mm guns and two twin uh, turrets and two single turrets, and had the capability to launch large amounts of aircraft. Um, this was just as a part of the uh, Swedish peacekeeping mission, as we, most of you know that Sweden was completely neutral. Well, not completely, but mostly neutral in World War II. Um, yeah, and then the uh, Gotland radioed back the uh, position and heading of the convoy, as well as the composition of the convoy, and uh, this did not concern the Germans. Um uh, both Luchens and Lindman believed that the operational secrecy had been lost, but um, they didn't. They weren't really concerned too much about the uh, the Gotland uh, reporting too much to the British. Um, however, the British did uh, did find out quite quickly and transmitted information to the Admiralty and um, with in code. So the Germans didn't really know about this, and they. Um, also began to pour through uh, German records and decrypted several coded reports that the Bismarck and Prince Eugen had embarked prize crews and requested additional navigational charts from headquarters. And so, as a result, two supermarines Spitfires were launched in order to search the Norwegian coast for the flotilla and take photographs of them. German aerial cr- reconnaissance had confirmed that one aircraft carrier, three battleships, and four cruisers uh, remained at anchor in the br- main British naval base at Scapa Flow, uh, which persuaded Lucians uh, erroneously that the British were unaware of this operation. However, they very much were and were preparing their forces to uh, to move. And um, on the 20th of May, at the evening, uh, Bismarck and the rest of the flotilla reached the Norwegian coastline. Minesweepers were detached, and the two raiders and their destroyers continued north. 
the following morning, radio and intercept officers aboard the Prince Wagon picked up a signal ordering British reconnaissance aircraft to search for two battleships, three destroyers northbound on the Norwegian coast. Obviously, this was erroneous. It was two. It was a battleship and a heavy cruiser as well as three destroyers, but you know, mostly the same thing. And on the at uh, uh, seven o'clock on the twenty fourth, German spotted. Uh, four unidentified aircraft, which quickly departed after, shortly after noon. The flotilla reached Bergen, Norway, and anchored at Grimstadfjord, uh, where the ship's uh, crews painted over Baltic camouflage with the standard uh, outboard gray, which was worn by German battleships operating in the Atlantic. It amazes me how often these crews repainted ships. It was like a daily, if not a daily thing, but it was not uh, uncommon for them just to randomly repaint their ships. Kind of interesting. So the Bismarck did actually carry a variety of camouflage, even though she's commonly depicted in just being a typical Atlantic Grey. Um, yeah, so uh, Bismarck uh, was in Norway with a pair of BF-109 fighters circling overhead continuously to protect her from British air attacks. But a British officer did manage to fly his Spitfire directly over the German flotilla at a height of 26,000 feet to take photos of the, Brit of the Bismarck and her escorts. And upon receiving the uh, receipt of this information, Admiral John Tovey ordered the battlecruiser HMS Hood, the newly uh, commissioned battleship HMS Prince of Wales, which, by the way, was still fitting out and still had dockyard workers on it, and six destroyers to reinforce the pair of cruisers that had been currently patrolling the Denmark Strait. I believe the pair of cruisers, which H was HMS Norfolk and HMS Suffolk, um, and the rest of the home fleet was placed on high alert in Scapa Flow, but was not immediately mobilized. So, um... Uh, with the battlecruiser HMS Hood making steam to get ready to go, same with Prince of Wales and the six destroyers, 18 bombers were dispatched to attack the uh, Germans, but the weather over the fjord had worsened and they were unable to actually find and uh, damage these uh, German warships. Uh, how, and the British, the Bismarck, the British, the Bismarck, did not d replenish her fuel stores in Norway as her operation operational orders did not require her to do so, so she left port with uh, a fuel tank that was 200 tons short of a full load, and uh, she had actually expended an extra 1,000 tons of uh, fuel on the voyage to Gotenhafen. Um The Prince Wagen took on 764 tons of fuel, uh, in contrast to the Bismarck. And uh, so on the 21st of May at 19.30 hours, so 7.30 p.m., uh, the Bismarck Prince Eugen and three escorting destroyers left Bergen, Norway. And essentially, the plan was to head out over Iceland and then just run as fast as they could, or almost as fast as they could, through the Denmark Strait into the open Atlantic. And the hope was that the Grand Fleet essentially, they would have essentially juked the Grand Fleet and been able to wreak havoc in the North Atlantic fairly, you know, with fairly large amounts of impunity, and then returned to Brest, France, once they were done, without being really detected or encountered by the uh, British main force. Uh, how it turns out this would not end well. Um, so they attempted in uh, to break out into the open Atlantic through the Denmark Strait, and on the 23rd of May, Bismarck ordered the Bis uh, Bismarck ordered Luchens ordered the Bismarck and Prince Eugen to increase speeds to 27 knots and attempt to make a dash through the Denmark Strait. However, upon uh, and upon entering the uh, Denmark Strait, they activated their FUMO radar detection equipment sets, which is that radar that's like the primary one for uh, Germany throughout World War II. Uh, and Bismarck was in front of Prince Eugen by about 700 meters, and the mist had actually reduced the visibility, like uh, visual acquisition range, to around 4 kilometers. Um, 
The Germans encountered some ice at around 10 a.m., which necessitated a reduction in speed further to 24 knots. And about two hours later, they had reached a point north of Iceland, uh, where the ice got so bad that they were forced to zigzag ice flows. Uh, and remember, both these ships did actually have icebreaker bows. They reinforced uh, to counter for this, but they still had to avoid large ice flows. And at 7.22 p.m., hydrotron and radar operators aboard the German warships both detected the cruiser HMS Suffolk at a range of about 12,500 meters. Uh, this... Uh, uh, this cruiser was tasked with simply trailing the two um, German warships, but not actually engaging them uh, in order to uh, report their continually report their position to the British main force. Um, and Prince Eugen's radio intercept team decrypted the radio signals being set by Suffolk and learned that their location had actually been reported and that they were known to the British. Lugens gave permission for the Prince Eugen to, to engage Suffolk and essentially do what we call World of Warships shutting off the radar um, so they can't detect you if they're dead. And... Uh, the captain of the German cruiser did not make out his target clearly, however, uh, even with radar-guided guns, and so he held his fire. The Suffolk quickly retreated to safe distance upon realizing that she had in, uh, been counterspotted um, and shadowed the German ships from very long range. And at uh, 8.30, the heavy cruiser HMS Norfolk joined HMS Suffolk, but approached the German raiders too closely and uh, was engaged by the German ships. Uh, Bismarck fired five salvos at her, three of which straddled Norfolk and rained shell splinters on her deck. The cruiser lay, did lay a smoke screen and fled into a fog bank, uh, after this, and ended the brief engagement. The concussion from the 380-millimeter uh, guns disabled the Bismarck's FUMO-23 radar set and it prompted Lutgens to order Prince Eugen to take station ahead so she can use her funky, functioning radar to scout for the formation. Yes, uh, this was a constant problem with large warships when they fired the guns. They constantly screw up the radar sets because they are... Remember, radar sets back in these days were like little, like, fragile antennas. And any amount of force would literally just... It wouldn't, like, like physically break them, but it would mess up their reception and everything like that. And essentially scramble them. Uh, so they would need sometimes extensive repairs, sometimes just, like the equivalent of a reboot to repair, but it was definitely a problem that was would never really be fixed until uh, the Iowa-class battleships were modernized in, like, I think the 50s. And even then, they still had issues with their radars being messed up by firing their guns. Um, yeah, so the cruiser basically laid a smokescreen and said, nope, I'm out, and um, uh, Prince Eugen took a station ahead. And at around 10 p.m., 2200 hours, Luchens ordered Bismarck to make a 180-degree turn in an effort to surprise the two heavy cruisers that were um, shadowing him. And essentially, they'd do Tokyo drift around and um, just fire a few salvos in hopes of either scaring them off or prompting them to follow at an even greater distance. Um, this uh, did not uh, really... Uh, work, we'll say, because Suffolk had radar, and Suffolk quickly detected a maneuver and allowed the cruiser to evade any uh, actions performed by the Bismarck, and uh, the Bismarck was also obscured in the rain squall, which worked in their favor and against them as well, because they couldn't see the Suffolk, or the Suffolk couldn't see them, but they also couldn't see the Suffolk, um, so yeah, there's that, and um, uh, the cruisers remained on station throughout the night, continually relying on the location and bearing of the German ships to uh, evade their uh, attempts to uh, shake them off. 
And uh, the harsh weather did break on the morning of 24th of May and revealed a clu- clear sky. At 5.07 a.m., hydrophone operators above the Prince Eugen detected a pair of unidentified vessels approaching the German formation, a range of about 20 nautical miles. Um, yeah, so they're, and they actually were moving very quickly, and by the noise, they could tell that they were turbine-equipped ships, suggesting possibly small ships, possibly. Uh, this was as far as the uh, Germans had known at the time. However, these were no small ships. These were the, some of the largest ships in the Royal Navy at the time. Uh, at 5.45 a.m. on the 24th of May, German lookouts spotted smoke on the horizon, and this turned, about to be, turned out to be the battlecruiser HMS Hood and HMS Prince of Wales. Set, uh, they were sent to erase the, the Prince Eugen and battleship Bismarck from existence, and they were under the command of Vice Admiral Lancelot Holland. And uh, Lutjens ordered his ship's crews to general quarters, which are essentially battle stations. And uh, by 5.52, the range had fallen to 26 kilometers, and Hood began to open fire. And this was followed by the Prince of Wales a minute later. Remember, these, this was one of the few engagements of World War II that actually was battleship on battleship action with no carrier involvement whatsoever. Um... And Hood engaged Prince Eugen, uh, which the British thought to be Bismarck at the time, and the Prince of Wales fired on Bismarck, which the British thought to be Prince Eugen at the time, because their position hadn't been updated by intelligence, and they were still convinced that the Prince Eugen was following the Bismarck. However, this had reversed, reverted. Uh, and Albert, Albert, Albert Schneider? No, no. Mr. Schneider, uh, the first gunnery officer aboard the Bismarck, twice re- requested permission to fire, but Luchens did hesitate. Um... And uh, Lindman intervened, muttering that I will not let my ship be shot out from under me. And he demanded permission to fire uh, from Luchens, who relented at around 5.55 and ordered his ships to open fire. Um, the British ships approached the German ships head-on, which permitted, to use them, uh, permitted them to only use their forward guns. Uh, Bismarck and Prince Eugen could fire full broadsides at them. And remember, in real life, broadside versus... Uh, armor angling didn't okay it kind of existed but not really it didn't matter that much yes if you were hit on the broadside it was pretty much a guaranteed penetration uh if you weren't angled but the whole hitting them part was was difficult because remember world of warships is half skill what is 26 kilometers in world of warships is not 26 kilometers it's 13 now in uh real life or in world of warships uh 26 actual kilometers is literally 52 kilometers in world of warships if that makes sense um so yeah it it took like 30 seconds or more for the shells to get there and a lot could happen to a ship's movement in 30 seconds and also waves existed as well uh and dispersion so it was um uh it was difficult at best to hit another ship, and that's why when ships were actually hit in real life, they were often devastating because, uh, you know, real shells hurt more than uh, World Warship shells, we'll just say that. And um, the German ships concentrated fire on the hood, and about a minute after operating, uh, opening fire, Prince Eugen scored a hit on a high-explosive 8-inch shell, or with a high-explosive 8-inch shell, and the explosive detonated an unrotated projectile ammunition and started the fire, but was quickly extinguished by the British. Uh, So the British just popped a damage control party and uh, 
<laughs> the damage controlled one fire. <laughs> um, after firing three minute four gun salvos, Schneider found the range to the hood, and he immediately op- ordered uh, rapid fire salvos on the Bismarck 8 380 millimeter guns. And he ordered the ship's 150 millimeters to engage the Prince of Wales. Yes, even in real life, the the Bismarck had very long-range secondaries. And um, the Holland then ordered a 28-degree turn to port to bring his ships on parallel course with the Bismarck and the Prince Eugen. Luchens ordered Prince Eugen to shift fire and target the Prince of Wales to keep both of his opponents under fire. Within a few minutes, Prince Eugen had scored a pair of hits on the battleship that started a small fire. Yes, uh, German cruisers apparently did actually spam high explosive. And Luchens then ordered uh, Prince Eugen to drop back behind the Bismarck so she continued to monitor the location of Norfolk and Suffolk, who, remember, we're still trailing them at this point. So we have four ships in the battle, or four British ships, two German ships, and probably German uh, destroyers floating around here somewhere. Um, yeah, so the Norfolk and Suffolk are currently sitting behind the uh, German ships at a long range, simply shadowing them. The Hood and the Prince of Wales are very close range, or fairly fairly close range, like like mid-range at this point. Uh, they've just found the range to each other, and uh, they're essentially coming straight at the, or they're crossing the, um, the uh, well, they are becoming the stem of the German's T, more or less, which seems kind of like a dumb idea, because they have all their guns on you, and you have half your guns on them, but, you know, whatever. Uh, it doesn't end well for the hood, either way. Um, yeah, so, uh, they were, t- the Norfolk and Suffolk were 10 to 12 nautical miles uh, to the east. At 0600 hours, the hood was completing a second turn to port when the Bismarck's fifth salvo hit. Two of the shells landed short, striking the water close to the ship, but at least one of these shells struck the hood and penetrated her thin deck armor. The shell reached hood's rear ammunition magazine and it detonated 112 tons of cordite propellant. Which is not good. The massive explosion broke the back of the ship's keel between the main mast and the rear funnel. The forward section continued to move forward briefly before the inrushing water caused the bow to rise in the air at a steep angle. A stern rose as the water rushed into the ripped open compartments and Schneider claimed he is sinking over the ship's loudspeakers. After only eight minutes of firing, the hood had disappeared, taking all but three of her crew of 1,419 men with her. Yes, it was uh, not a good day for the British. It was one of those moments where, you know, you're, like, slouching in your video game chair uh, as you th- think you're playing, like, you know, just <laughs> rookie players in World of Warships. You're at, like, Tier 4 or something like that. You're just you're casually playing, and someone actually scores, like, a Citadel hit on you, and then you actually sit up in your chair and have to, like, actually deal with them. Uh, yeah, this is exactly what happened, because the British realized that the Germans were no joke, and then they just sent everything after him. Like, so, um... And you remember, at this point, the... Hood was kind of mystified in British culture as just being this unsinkable, unstoppable force, even though it was just a battlecruiser. It was the pride of the Royal Navy. And at this point in world history, the military was still like a um, a force that was supported by most of the population. I mean, it still is in certain countries today, but a lot of of government spending was in the military, and the military often became the symbol of a nation— so having the prince of or having the hood destroyed was a huge blow to British morale. So um, basically, with the hood now becoming a fancy artificial reef, uh, the Bismarck then shifted fire to the Prince of Wales, which was not good for the Prince of Wales. Uh, the Bismarck 
or the British battleship did score a hit on the Bismarck in our sixth salvo, uh, but the German ship, being as accurate as they were, because remember, German guns in real life were actually really accurate as far as battleship guns go, so why they're not accurate in World of Warships, I have no idea. But uh, the German ship found her mark with the first salvo, and one of the shells stuck to, struck the bridge on the Prince of Wales, though it did not explode and instead exited the other side, also known as an overpenetration. Although... It did not explode. It still killed everyone in the ship's command center, save Captain John Leach, the ship's commanding officer, and one other dude who was just standing there at the wrong time. Uh, yeah. This is... And uh, John Leach was not going to have a very good career because he was going to stick with the Prince of Wales uh, until um, it was eventually sunk... <laughs> eventually attacked again in South the South China Sea off M Malaya by a... Royal Navy bombers later that year. He was this was really just a crappy year for the dude. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be the only prince, uh, no, only King George V class of, uh, only King George V class battleship to be sunk in the war. Um, yes, but that's a later episode. Um, yeah, so the two German ships continue the fire on the Prince of Wales, causing serious damage, even though the bridge was, even though the Prince of Wales was basically um, disabled as far as the command structure was concerned. Uh, the guns malfunctioned on the recently commissioned British battleship, uh, which uh, notably, as I said before, had civilian technicians aboard. Um, they were not really supposed to be there. They were just there to help the crew get acclimated to the ship's weaponry. Uh, they were not supposed to be in an all-out knife fight with another uh, adversary vessel. Despite the technical faults in the main battery, the Prince of Wales did score three hits on a Bismarck throughout the engagement. First struck her uh, foxhole above the waterline, uh, but low enough to allow the crashing waves to enter the hull. So yes, the Bismarck was slightly flooding. The second shell struck below the armored belt and exploded on contact with the torpedo bulkhead, completing a flood completely flooding a turbo generator room and f uh, partially flooding the adjacent boiler room, which was minor, uh, pretty pretty decent damage. Not severe damage, but pretty decent damage. And uh, the third shell passed through one of the boats carried aboard the ship and went through the float plane catapult without exploding. So yeah, uh, that boat is not going to float anymore. I think we should just toss it overboard and leave it. <laughs> and at 0613, Leech gave the order to retreat. Only five of the ship's 10, 14 mil, or 360mm guns, or 14-inch guns, were still firing, and the ship has sustained significant damage. The Prince of Wales made a 160-degree about turn and laid a smokescreen to cover her withdrawal. Yes, battleships had smoke screens. Almost every ship had smoke screens in real life. The whole only destroyers have smoke screens is kind of a myth. Um, although not okay, not every ship had smoke screens, but like a lot of the British ships did, and a lot of the American ships. And it's true that destroyers mostly laid smoke screens, but uh, any ship could lay a smoke screen if it needed to. Um, uh, the Germans began to cease fire as the range widened, and though Linderman strongly advocated chasing a Prince of Wales and destroying her, Luchens obeyed operational orders to shun any avoidable engagement with the enemy forces that were not protecting a convoy. Essentially, they were to fire fired upon, unless they found a convoy, and then they were just to ravage the convoy and then leave. Um, and uh, so they rejected... Luchens rejected the request and instead ordered Bismarck and Prince Eugen to head for the North Atlantic. In the engagement, Bismarck fired 93 armor-piercing projectiles and had been hit by three shells in return. The Foxhole hit allowed 1,000 to 2,000 tons of water to flood the ship and contaminated fuel oil storage in the bow, which was not good because that um, meant it was unusable and meant that the range of the Bismarck had to be shortened. 
Luchins refused to uh, uh, reduce speed to allow damage control teams to repair the shell hole, which widened and allowed more water in the ship. Kind of strange. I, I guess he's probably trying to stay ahead of the Norfolk and the Suffolk, though, in case they attempted to engage. And the second hit caused some additional flooding. Uh, shell splinters from the second hit also damaged the steam line from the, in the turbo generator room, uh, but which was not serious. Um, because the uh, Bismarck didn't have other generator reserves which would be sufficient to power the ship. But the combined flooding uh, these two hits had caused caused a 9 degree list to port and a 3 degree trim by the bow. So essentially she was listing to the left slightly by 9 degrees and she was plowing into the water by 3 degrees um, after this. And um, the British were not happy with this, obviously. Um, uh, so they said battle cruiser, probably hood, sunk. Uh, another battleship, King George via Renown, turned away damage. Two heavy cruisers maintain contact. This was uh, Lucian's report to the OKM, which was the uh, central command of uh, the Kriegsmarine. And at 8.01, he transmitted the damage report um, and his intentions to the OKM, which were to detach the Prince Eugen for commerce rating and make, make uh, for St. Nazaire for repairs. And shortly after 10 o'clock, Lucian's ordered Prince Eugen to fall behind the Bismarck to determine the severity of the oil leakage from the bow hit. And after confirming broad streams of oil from both sides of Bismarck's wake, the Prince Eugen returned to the forward position. Essentially just shadowing, checking damage. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't have launched like a float plane or something like that just to check the damage, but, you know, whatever. Um, about an hour later, a British short Sunderland flying boat uh, reported the oil slick to Orf Norfolk and Suffolk. Apparently it was a big oil slick if you can see it from the sky. Um which had been joined by the damaged Prince of Wales. So essentially the Prince of Wales fell back to join the Norfolk and Suffolk, and uh, they had been receiving damage reports from a short Sunderland flying boat acting as a reconnaissance plane. And Rear Admiral uh, Frank Wake Walker, uh, the commander of the two cruisers, ordered the Prince of Wales to remain behind his ships so that they hopefully would, that hopefully would not be engaged in further damage. And Prime Minister Winston Churchill ordered all warships in the area of the uh, to join in the pursuit of the Bismarck and the Prince Eugen. Yeah. So they, like I said, they sat up in the gaming chair and started. <laughs> they were starting to go get them. Um, uh, Toby's home fleet was steaming to intercept the German raiders, but in the morning of the 24th of May, was still over 350 nautical miles away. The Admiralty ordered light cruisers Manchester, Birmingham, and Athrosia to patrol the Denmark Strait in case Luchin's attempt to retrace his route. So essentially, they uh, were going to send two county-class cruisers, or no, um, two town-class light cruisers, and uh, a Athrosia-class light cruiser, which the Athrosia-class light cruiser is um, in the form of the Huang Ha in... Um. Uh, in uh, World of Warships, so it's yeah, it's like a kind of like a Leander, I guess. <sighs> All right, so let's get back into this. The battleship Rodney, which had been escorting RMS Britannic, was due for refit in the Boston Navy Yard. Joined Tovey, uh, two Revenge-class battleships were um. Yeah, wait, why was it due for refit in the United States? Huh, that's kind of interesting. Must have been part of the cash and carry policy. Uh, two Revenge-class battleships were ordered to to the hunt as well. Revenge from Halifax and Ramillies, which was escorting convoy HX-127. In all, six battleships and battlecruisers, two aircraft carriers, 13 cruisers, and 21 destroyers were committed to the chase. 
to say that the British, <laughs> to say that the Germans had poked a literal beehive was an understatement. They killed like four bees and then had the whole thousand of them coming back. And by 1700, the crew aboard the Prince of Wales had restored nine of her ten main guns to working order, which permitted Wake Walker to place her in the front of the formation to attack the Bismarck if the opportunity arose, and hopefully smash the Bismarck's face in, although it hadn't worked out that well for the British before. With the weather worsening, the Luchins attempted to detach Prince Eugen at 1640. However, the squall was not heavy enough to cover her withdrawal from the cruiser, British cruisers, who continued to maintain radar contact. Prince Eugen was therefore recalled temporarily to re-escorting the, uh, re the Bismarck. And the cruiser successfully attached around two hours later. Uh, the Bismarck turned around to face Wake Walker's formation, forcing Suffolk to turn away at high speed to avoid being uh, erased from existence. Um, Prince of Wales fired 12 salvos at Bismarck, which responded with a further 9 salvos. Uh, no hits were scored by either side. The action diverted British attention and permitted the British, uh, the Prince Eugen to slip away virtually undetected. And after this, Bismarck resumed her previous heading, and Wake Walker's three ships took up station on Bismarck's port side. However, they were out of range of the Bismarck's guns. Although Bismarck had been damaged with the engagement with Hood and forced to reduce speed, she was still capable of 27 to 28 knots, and the maximum speed of Tovey's King George uh, V was around 27 to 28 knots. So unless the Bismarck could be further slowed, the British would be unable to prevent her from reaching Saint-Nazier. Shortly before 1600 hours, on the 25th of May, Tovey detached the aircraft carrier Victorious and four light cruisers to shape a course that would position her to launch torpedo bombers. Uh, this uh, was the Admiral of the home fleet detaching an extra aircraft carrier to intercept the uh, Bismarck with her torpedo bombers rather than directly engage them. At 2200 hours, Victorious launched a strike and it comprised of six ferry Fulmar fighters and nine ferry swordfish torpedo bombers at the 825 Naval Air Squadron. And this was led by Lieutenant Commander Eugene Estmond. Yeah, yeah, Eugene Estmond. Uh, inexperienced aviators uh, nearly attacked the Norfolk and the U.S. Coast Guard cutter USCGC Modoc on their way approached and confused and alerted Bismarck's anti-aircraft gunners. So they nearly friendly fired one ship, nearly engaged a neutral party again before they finally found their target. How do you screw that? I guess, I guess it's they're far away, but I mean, it, it's a. I, I get maybe the Suffolk. But it's a Coast Guard cutter. Like, what? The thing doesn't even look like the Bismarck. The thing's 200 feet long. How do you... Whatever. You know what? That's fine. That is... Whatever. Whatever. I mean... Uh, okay. Alright. Whatever. That's fine. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alright, so the Bismarck was now aware of the incoming strike. Bismarck used their main battery, main and secondary batteries to fire at maximum depression to create giant splashes in the path of incoming torpedo bombers. Uh, none of the attacking aircraft were shot down, and Bismarck evaded eight of the torpedoes launched at her, but the ninth, uh, not so much. The ninth struck amidships on the main armor belt, throwing one man into a bulkhead and killing him, and injuring five others. The explosion caused minor damage to the electrical equipment. Uh, the ship suffered more serious damage from the maneuvers to evade the torpedoes. Rapid shifts in speed uh, loosened collision mats which were increased the flooding to the forward shell hole and eventually forced the abandonment of the port number two boiler room. So the actual maneuvering to avoid the torpedoes caused more damage than the torpedoes did themselves, which is interesting. I 
Okay, and what I also find interesting about this is that rather than using the 105s and 150s to uh, shoot down these aircraft, maybe they didn't have proximity fuse shells there at this time. Actually, I don't think they did. Uh, they created splashes to visually obscure the aircraft, which were flying at an altitude so low that most of the small caliber AA guns could not actually depress far enough to fire upon these aircraft, which I find interesting. So... The splash of a main battery shell hitting the water was more effective at obscuring the sights of a, or a, uh, preventing a strike on the carrier than actually shooting the aircraft down. I want that in World of Warships. Can I shoot at the, at the water and make them, like, have less accurate strikes or something? That would be a cool mechanic, actually. Um... Shortly after the swordfish departed the scene, Bismarck and Prince of Wales engaged in a brief artillery duel. Uh, duel is a relative word, though, because neither of them actually scored a hit. Uh, Bismarck's damage control teams resume work after the short engagement. Uh, Seawater had flooded the number two port boi side boiler and had was also threatening to uh, enter the number four turbo generator feed water system, which would have permitted saltwater to reach the turbines, therefore rendering the Bismarck dead in the water, which was not good. Uh, it would have damaged the turbine blades and thus greatly reduced the ship's speed if leaving it dead in the water. If it didn't completely um, make the ship dead in the water. By the morning of the 25th of May, the danger had passed and the ship was slowed to 12 knots, allowing divers to pump fuel from the forward compartments to the rear tanks and the two hoses. Um, yeah, so essentially the Bismarck sent divers to go in this into this thick fuel oil and put hoses in the non-contaminated parts of it to pump that non-contaminated fuel into the rear tanks where they could further extend the range of the Bismarck in an attempt to escape the British. Oh, and I forgot to mention that earlier, divers had actually repaired the collision mats in the bow, which increased the speed to 20 knots, but was obviously further slowed so that they could repair the fuel. Uh, fuel tanks, that is. Uh, as the chase entered more open water, Wakewalker ships were compelled to zigzag to avoid German U-boats that might be in the area, uh, because German U-boats generally did not go into like uh, closed-off waters just for fear of being cornered. Um, but now that they were in open water, it was fair game. Um, uh, yes, and this required the ships to steam for 10 minutes to port, then 10 minutes to starboard to keep the ships on the same base course. And for the last few minutes of the turn to port, the British Bismarck was out of range of the Suffolk's radar. And at 0300 on the 25th of May, British order, or Luchin's order to increase to maximum speed, which at this point was only 28 knots, two knots slower than the actual uh, maximum capacity. Um, he then ordered the ship to circuit way to the west and then to the north. And this man maneuver coincided with the period that his ships were out of ra radar range, effectively breaking radar contact and then circle back behind pursuers. Suffolk's captain assumed that the British had Bismarck had broken off the west and attempted to find her by also steaming west. After a half hour, he informed Wake Walker and ordered his three ships to disperse at daylight to search visually. So, the Bismarck had done an alley-oop, gone behind the, the pursuing ships, and now they were essentially looking before, looking, uh, for the, uh, Bismarck in front of them, visually, with binoculars and stuff, although Bismarck was like, I'm behind you. <laughs> This is this is interesting. This is you can make a very good book about this, and I'm sure there is a few of them out there. But this is just such an interesting um, chase because the British had had a pretty good idea of what they're doing, and then the Bismarck did a zigzag, or both of them did a zigzag at the same time, and then this Bismarck just disappeared. So yeah, um, yeah. So 
uh, the Royal Navy became to search, uh, began to search frantically uh, because the, many of the British ships had begun to become low on fuel because many of them had been steaming doing something else before they were pulled in on the search. Victorious and her escorting cruisers were sent west. Wake Walker's ships continued to the south and to the west, and Tovey continued to steam into the, toward the Mid-Atlantic. Force H, which with the aircraft carrier Ark Royal, steamed up uh, from Gibraltar and was still at least, at least a day away. Unaware that they had shaken off Wake Walker, Lukens sent long radio messages to Naval Group Headquarters in Paris. Um, the signals were intercepted by the British, from which bearings were determined. So, Lukens assumed that he was still on radar contact with the British, so it wouldn't have mattered if he would have sent radio position locations, or if he would have radioed his location to Paris, because the British would have already known where he is. Now, he essentially put up his uh, his uh, radio transmission power all the way up to 10, beamed his location to Paris, and and so Naval Command is like, alright, there you are, we got you. And the British also intercepted this and were like, ooh, now we have you again. And, um... Uh, the, from, they were able to determine bearings based on the current location and where the British was, in, uh, where the Bismarck was intending to go. However, they were wrongly plotted on the King George V, and, uh, leading Toby to believe that the Bismarck was heading back to Germany through the Iceland Faroe Gap, which kept his fleet on the round course for seven hours. By the time the mistake had been discovered, the Bismarck had put a sizable gap between herself and the British ships. So the British were, had a miscommunication, wrongly plotted this golden information on their maps, and steamed completely the wrong way for seven hours. And then we're like, well, now crap, because now we're basically out of radar range, he's going a different direction, and now we have to turn around and follow him again. He's going 28 knots, which is as fast as any of our ships can go. <laughs> Except for the cruisers, which can go a little bit faster, but still, they were way out of the way. Uh, British codebreakers were able to decrypt some of the German signals, including an order to the Luftwaffe to provide support for the Bismarck making for Brest. And this was uh, decrypted on 25th of May, 1941. The French resistance provided the British with confirmation that Luftwaffe units had been moving uh, there. They, the Luftwaffe was moving a lot of hardware to help the British to help the Bismarck get back to Brest. If they got back to Brest, since the Germans had air superiority over there, it would be very difficult to further attack the Bismarck. Um, Squadron of Coastal Command Consolidated Catalina Flying Boats based on RF based out of RAF Castle Archdale in Northern Ireland joined the search, covering areas where the Bismarck might head in an attempt to reach occupied France. At 10.30 on the 26th of May, a Catalina pilot piloted by Ensign Leonard B. Smith of the U.S. Navy located her, some 690 nautical miles northwest of Brest. Her, at her current speed, she would be close enough to reach the protection of U-boats and Luftwaffe in less than a day. Most British forces would be not close enough to stop her. The only possibility uh, for the Royal Navy was the Ark Royal, Force H. It was their last hope. Under the command of Admiral James Somerville, victorious Prince of Wales, Suffolk, and Repulse were forced to break off the search due to fuel shortages and uh, were no longer able to follow the Bismarck. And this meant that the only heavy ships remaining that were uh, large enough to uh, substantially disable the Bismarck or sink her were the King George V and the Rodney but they were also very distant and of not of capable not capable of speed to catch the Bismarck remember Rodney can make like 24 knots Bismarck was steaming 4 knots faster which over a 7 hour chase meant a lot Dark Royal Swordfish had already been searching nearby when the Catalina found her. Several torpedo bombers also located the battleship about 60 nautical miles away from the Ark Royal um 
Somerville ordered to attack as soon as the swordfish returned and were rearmed with torpedoes. He detached the cruiser Sheffield to shadow the Bismarck, although Ark Royal's uh, aviators were not informed of this. As a result, the swordfish, which were armed with torpedoes equipped with new magnetic detonators, accidentally attacked the Sheffield. However, the magnetic de detonators were crap and failed to work properly, and the Sheffield emerged unscathed. What is it with the British and the stupid friendly fire stuff? Like... Oh my god, the... Okay, whatever. Fog of War. It's the Fog of War, it's fine. Whatever. Um, uh, upon returning to the Ark Royal, the Swordfish loaded torpedoes equipped with contact detonators, which were more reliable. The second attack comprised of 15 aircraft launched at 1910 hours. At 2047 hours, the torpedo bombers began to attack... Uh, began their attack descent through the clouds. As the swordfish approached, the Bismarck fired a main battery at Sheffield, straddling the cruiser with her second salvo, uh, allowing shell fragments to be rained down on the Sheffield, killing three men and wounding several others. Sheffield were quickly retreated under the cover of a smokescreen. British light cruiser, smokescreen, just like in World of Warships, had in real life as well. Man, the British really liked to use their smokescreens, didn't they? Uh, the swordfish then attacked, and the Bismarck began to turn violently as anti-aircraft batteries engaged the bombers. One torpedo hit amidships on the port side, uh, just below the bottom edge of the main belt armor. Uh, the force of the explosion largely con uh, contained by underwater protection system and the belt armor, but some structural damage caused minor flooding. The second torpedo struck the Bismarck in her stern on the port side, near the port rudder shaft. The coupling on the port rudder assembly was badly damaged, and the rudder began became locked in a 12-degree turn to port. The explosion was also... Uh, also caused much shock damage to the rudder systems, and the crew eventually managed to repair the starboard rudder, but the port rudder be uh, remained jammed. A suggestion to sever the port rudder with explosive was dismissed by Lucians, as the damage to the screws would have left the battleship absolutely helpless. At 21.15, Lucians report reported the ship was completely unmaneuverable. Uh, this was the beginning of the end for the Bismarck. With the port rudder jammed, the Bismarck was now steaming in what was effectively a large circle, uh, which would be a graveyard spiral for the ship. And this was she was essentially disabled and unable to escape from Tovey's forces. They had her now right where they wanted her. Though fuel shortages had reduced the number of ships available to the, war, to the British, the battleships King George V and Rodney were still available, and with the Bismarck now steaming in a circle, it was sh like shooting fish in a barrel. And the heavy cruisers Dorstetshire and Norfolk began uh, joined both Rodney and King George V. Lucian signaled to headquarters at 2140 on the 26th, ship unmaneuverable. We will fight to the last shell, long live the Fuhrer. Um, yeah. So the mood of the crew became increasingly depressed, especially as messages from Naval Command reached the ship. Intended to boost morality, messages only highlighted the desperate situation in which the crew found itself. As darkness fell, the Bismarck briefly fired on the Sheffield, and the qu cruiser quickly retreated and fled. Sheffield lost contact with low visibility, and uh, Captain Philip Van's group of five destroyers were ordered to keep contact uh, with the Bismarck throughout the night. These destroyers encountered the Bismarck at 2238. The battleship quickly engaged them with her main battery. After firing three salvos, she straddled the post destroyer Aura P. Pyron. And uh, the destroyer continued to close range until a near miss at around 12,000 meters forced her to turn away. Which is pretty interesting because destroyers are small and they're still shooting what in World of Warships is 24 kilometers and managing to hit so close that it forces her to turn her away. Throughout the night into the morning, Vine's destroyers harried the Bismarck, illuminating her with star shells and firing dozens of torpedoes, but none of which hit none of which managed to hit, but 
still uh, hindered the Bismarck's defense of herself. Uh, because star shells, um, yeah, they're they're nasty things. You, you know what um, cherry blossom has? Th those are star shells, and while they're not super useful in that operation, uh, they uh, were very very useful in World War II and used to great effect by the Japanese Navy to just rip Allied squadrons to shreds at night. Um, yeah, so it, the British were using this as well, um, just to ensure that they kept track of where the Bismarck was. Between 0500 and 0600, uh, Bismarck crew attempted to launch one of the Arata 196 float planes to carry away the ship's war diary, footage of the engagement of the Hood, and other important documents. A third shell hit the Prince of Wales, uh, which damaged the steam line on the aircraft. Uh, th no, a third shell hit from the Prince of Wales had damaged the steam line on the... Uh, aircraft catapult and rendered it inoperative it was it was not possible to launch the aircraft it had become a fire hazard and was quickly dumped overboard um after daybreak on the 27th of may king george v led the attack the rodney followed off her port quarter and tovey intended to steam directly at the bismarck until he was just eight nautical miles away which not well not port in blank range was still really really close at that point he would turn south to put his ships parallel to the target and at 0843 lookouts on king george v spotted her um spotted the bismarck some 23,000 meters away so 23 kilometers away four minutes later rodney's two four turrets comprising of 406 millimeter guns the largest in the royal navy at the time actually the largest ever in the royal navy well okay i shouldn't say ever they did have um they did have 18-inch guns on uh, a few ships, but largest in the Royal Navy at the time, opened fire. Then King George V, 356s, followed uh, and began rapidly firing at the Bismarck. Bismarck returned fire at 850 with Tafora guns with a second salvo, straddled the Rodney. At, thereafter, Bismarck's ability to aim her guns deteriorated as the ship, unable to steer, moved erratically in heavy seas and deprived Schneider of a predictable course for range calculations. Uh, yeah, so they they were really hurting now. They couldn't even fire accurately at the um, German at the British ships in hopes of at least taking a few of them down uh, with the Bismarck. As the range fell, the ship's secondary batteries joined the battle. Norfolk and Dorsetshire closed and began firing their 203s um, at the Bismarck. At 0902, a 16-inch shell from Rodney struck the Bismarck's forward superstructure, killing hundreds of men and severely damaging the two forage uh, turrets. Yes, a single hit. Well, this was basically a citadel hit, but like the a single hit from a warship could severely damage the target. So this just shows you that well, the warships is not entirely realistic when you just have a German ship that's like completely on fire and able to keep going and stuff. I guess well, a British ship that's like completely on fire and then just you hit the three D printer button and magically all your crew's back alive and magically your ship just begins to reassemble itself like a freaking Lego set. Uh, that that didn't exist in real life. It's that's why World of Warships is a an arcade game. Um, yeah, so um, hundreds of men and severely damaging the two forward turrets. And according to survivors, this salvo probably killed both Linderman and Luchens and the rest of the bridge staff. So now the Bismarck was completely headless. It was just a writhing little snake around the ground. Uh, and the survivor stated that they saw Linderman on the deck as uh, the ship sank. So this shows that there is a bit of conflicting um, testimony as to what actually happened. The main fire control director was also destroyed by this hit, uh, and this probably killed the main uh, gunnery officer, Schneider. A second shell from the salvo struck the... Um, uh, struck the for main forward battery, which disabled, and, and managed to fire uh, one last salvo. 
uh, even though it was disabled at 0927. Um, uh, Lieutenant von Mullen Reckberg, uh, who was in the rear fire control station, uh, took over a fire control for the rear turrets, and he managed to fire uh, three salvos before a shell destroyed the gun director and disabled his equipment. He gave the order for the guns to fire independently, but by 0931, all four main battery turrets had been put out of action. One of the Bismarck's shell exploded 20 feet off Rodney's bow and damaged her starboard torpedo tube, but this was the closest that the Bismarck would ever come to a direct hit upon our opponents. With the British personnel no longer responding, Executive Officer XO um, Hans Oles took command of the ship from the station in the damage control central. Some near misses along the port struck aside, and the fact that the ship was no longer able to fight back caused Oles to decide on, at around 0930 to scuttle the Bismarck rather than have her be taken into custody by the British. To prevent the ship from being uh, like boarded as well, and to allow the crew to abandon the ship so as to reduce casualties, the Bismarck also was slowly sinking due to increasing list that allowed water to enter the ship via damage to the main deck. Although the ship's very large uh, metacentric height kept her afloat, so the fact that the German uh, battleships had just absolutely massive superstructures was actually saving the Bismarck at this time. At around 0930. Uh, 30, uh, Oles ordered men below decks to abandon ship. He instructed engine room crews to open the ship's watertight doors and pe prepare for scuttling charges. This scuttling command ensured that the downflooding would start uh, to descend below the gun deck as the crews made their way up to the watertight hatches that would therefore uh, thereafter be left open. This flooding would progressively cause the ship's list increasing, uh, to list increasingly until it capsized. Gerhard Gunnack, the chief engineering officer, ordered his men to set the demolition charges with a nine-minute fuse, but the intercon system broke down. He sent a messenger to confirm to order to scuttle the ship. The messenger never returned, so Gunnack primed the charges and ordered his men to abandon the ship. They left the engine spaces at around 10.10. Gunnack and his comrades heard the demolition charges detonate as they made their way to the various levels. Oles rushed through the ship, ordering his men to abandon posts. On one gun deck, a huge explosion killed him and about a hundred others. This was literally, like, hell on earth for the Germans. Uh, the Bismarck was burning in multiple places. Uh, explosions were going all the way around. The ship was beginning to literally be torn apart by the British heavy fire. And by 10 o'clock... Uh, Tovey's two battleships had fired over 700 main battery shells, many at point-blank range. Rodney closed to just 2,700 meters, which is nothing, to fire point-blank range uh, and continue to fire. You're essentially just smacking someone who's on the ground again. Like, this is just a bar fight that's gone horribly wrong for the, for the Germans, and they're just having their faces pummeled in by the British, even though the Bismarck at this point is completely disabled. Uh, they are continuing to just rip it to shreds. Uh, Bismarck had become reduced to shambles of flame from stem to stern and slowly settling from the stern by uncontrolled flooding with a 20-degree list to port. Tovey would not cease fire until the Germans struck their ensigns or it became clear that they were abandoning the ship. So essentially, that even as the ship was completely aflame, a literal candle that could be seen from space, they were going to continue fire until the German surrendered, which, I mean, is kind of the way naval warfare works. It's a cruel world. Um... She was slowly settling by the stern from 
uh, uncontrolled flooding, and uh, overall the four British ships would fire more than 2,800 shells at Bismarck and scored more than 400 hits, but they were still unable to sink the Bismarck. The heavy gunfire at virtually point-blank range devastated the superstructure and sections of the hull that were above the waterline, and it caused very heavy casualties, but it was not contributing, really, to sinking the ship. Rodney fired two torpedoes from the fort side tube and claimed one hit. Um, and interestingly enough, this is the only incidence of a battleship torpedoing another battleship. Um, the scuttling charges detonated around 10.20 uh, a.m. And at 10.35, the ship assumed a heavy port list, capsizing slowly and sinking by the stern. By about 10... Uh, at around 10.20, running low on fuel, Tovey ordered cruiser Dorsetshire to sink Bismarck with torpedoes and ordered his battleships back to port. It had become clear that the ship was completely out of action and would no longer pose a threat to the British in any way. Dorsetshire fired a pair of torpedoes straight into Bismarck's starboard size, one of which hit. Remember, this was point-blank range, so they didn't really have to lead anything. Dorsetshire then moved around to her port side and fired another torpedo, which also hit. By these, this time, these torpedo attacks put, took place. The ship was already listing so badly that the deck was partly awash. It appeared that the final torpedo may have a Detonated against Bismarck's portside superstructure, which would have been similar to the Oklahoma's uh, torpedoing and that would occur later in the uh, in the year in December, where the ship had been listing so heavily that the part of the superstructure was actually underwater, so the torpedo hit above any protection whatsoever and managed to essentially penetrate through the main deck. Um, and uh, and this was under uh, since the superstructure was already underwater, this allowed massive amounts of flooding. And Bismarck finally disappeared beneath the surface at 10.40 a.m. And uh, Junak, which, who had already been in the ship by the time it capsized, observed no underwater damage to the ship's starboard side, which is interesting. Von Mullen-Runenberg reported the same, but assumed that on the port side, which was underwater and had been more significantly damaged. Some survivors reported that they saw Captain Linderman standing at attention at the stern of the ship as she sank. Around 400 men were now in the water, of the original 2,000 that had actually been on the ship. Dorsetshire and the uh, destroyer Maori moved in and lowered ropes to pull survivors aboard. At 11.40, Dorsetshire's captain ordered the rescue effort to be abandoned after they spotted what they thought was a U-boat. Dorsetshire rescued 85 men, and Maori picked up 25 by the time they had left the scene. A U-boat later reached survivors and found three men, and a German trawler rescued another two. One of the men picked up by the British died of his wounds the following day. Of the crew of over 2,200 men on the Bismarck, only one 114 actually survived. And on, in 1959, C.S. Foster published his novel of the Nine Last Days of the Bismarck, uh, and this was actually adopted in the movie Sink the Bismarck, released the following year. For a dramatic effect, the Bismarck uh, uh, was showed sinking a British destroyer and shooting down two aircraft, neither of which actually happened. And, uh, yeah. So, this battle, as you can see with the evidence of the movie, is pretty much legendary. Uh, the Brit the uh, wreck of the Bismarck was discovered in June 1989 by Dr. Robert Ballard, uh, who is a very, very famous oceanographer. Uh, I think many of you will probably know him as the person who discovered RMS Titanic just a few years earlier. Uh, Robert Ballard went on to discover many, many ships below um, sea uh, below sea level, obviously, many, many sunken ships. Um, he did actually serve in the United States Army and the United States Navy himself. Um, he discovered the wrecks of Armas Titanic, Battleship Bismarck, 
uh, aircraft carrier USS Yorktown, and John F. Kennedy's PT-109. I believe he also discovered the... Um, I think he also discovered the... Uh, what was I going to say? The Edmund Fitzgerald, I believe, as well, which is a famous um, freighter that sank in the um, uh, in, in Lake Superior. Although I can't confirm that right now. Uh, he has discovered a lot of ships, like the wreck of the IGN and Krishima, and yeah, tons of things. Anyways, but yeah, so that's the end of the Bismarck. It came to a fiery end, taking more than a thousand, or more than two thousand people with it. One of the worst losses of life in World War II. One of the worst single losses of life in World War II. Um, yeah, so it's pretty pretty crazy uh, what the Bismarck took to actually sink. It, it's it's crazy to think that even with just the absolute smacking that British that the British gave it, like they literally tried to reduce it to atoms, and it still would not sink physically. Although it was basically um, put out of action. It still was not going down. So yeah, that's that's the Bismarck uh, historically. Now let's get in to her uh, existence in World of Warships. So uh, d disclaimer: I have not actually played the Bismarck. Uh, I do have extensive amounts of experience playing the Pomeran, which is just a bigger Bismarck. Um, but the Bismarck is, like I said, the most played ship in World of Warships, probably the most well-known one as well, um, and is nothing short of legendary in the game. Um, so, she has a main battery gun range of 21.1 kilometers with her 4X2 380mm 52 caliber SKC-34 on a DRH LC-34 mount. The reload time is an astonishing 26 seconds. That is really fast. Remember, British or British German battleships generally have quite fast reloads. Uh, the rate of fire is 2.31 rounds per minute. 180 degree turn time is a zippy 36 seconds, which is fast for a battleship her size. Her accuracy leaves a bit to be desired with a sigma of 1.8. This is better than the Gnaiz now at tier seven, but uh, still is not uh, compared to a contemporary or most of her contemporaries. Maximum dispersion horizontal is 273 meters. Maximum dispersion vertical is 164 meters. So not pinpoint accurate, but definitely more accurate than I believe uh, the Richelieu and the um, Vladivostok. Uh, so she'll fire a 380mm uh, SPR-GR L4.6 round uh, for HE round. The raw DPM is uh, pretty disappointing, 81,231. Maximum damage is also pretty disappointing, 4,400. Put this in perspective, I believe Goliath has more damage on her high explosive shells with just 234mm guns. Uh, initial shell velocity is a pretty good 820 meters a second. The shell weight is 800 kilograms. The ricochet... Um, I don't know why, this is a bug in WASFT, they have a ricochet angle for, uh, the HE on, um, Bismarck, although, uh, HE doesn't ricochet, so, yeah. The depth explosion is an impressive 4 meters, the HE penetration is an, um, um, astonishing 95 millimeters. Burn probability is a pretty good 34%, which means we get around 2 fires a minute and 96.4% chance of causing a fire per salvo. Uh, AP shell is way better. It's a 380mm PSPR-GR L4.4 shell. Uh, it has a raw DPM of 214,154 with a maximum damage of 11,600 upon a Citadel hit. Uh, the initial shell velocity is a 820 meters a second, same as high explosive shell. It weighs the same at 800 kilograms and has a ricochet angle of 4.5 to or 45 to 60 degrees. 
The Deadpool Explosion is 2 meters, the Overmatch is 26 millimeters, and the Army Threshold is 63 millimeters. So you do sometimes get some overpens because of the fact that the penetration on these is, um, or the, the diffuse timer is kind of bad. Although the penetration on most, like most German guns, leaves a bit to be desired, as does the fire angles on this ship. They're not great. I mean, they're all right. I mean, they're pretty average going forward, but backwards, they're pretty abysmal. Uh, so these ships are not designed for kiting. Uh, the secondary battery will actually go over because it is pretty great. It has a maximum range base of 7.6 kilometers. The maximum damage is 1,700 on the Ford by a 150mm uh, 55 caliber SKC-28 on a uh, DLP LC-34 mount. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, maximum damage, 1,700, as I said before. Initial shove velocity is an impressive 875 meters a second. The reload time is all right at 7.5 seconds. Accuracy has a sigma of 1.0. Maximum dispersion of 361 meters. HE penetration of 38 millimeters, which is impressive. And a burn probability of 8%. The rest are just 105 uh, meter guns, uh, which have a maximum damage of 1,200. Um, she carries a 6x2 arrangement and 2x2 arrangement um, of the 105s, and a 4x2 150 arrangement and a 2x2 150 arrangement. Uh, and the 105s have maximum damage of 1,200, initial shell velocity of an impressive 900 meters a second, a reload time of just 3.35 seconds, uh, accuracy of a sigma of 1.0, maximum dispersion of 361 meters, HE penetration of 26 meters, and a 5% burn chance. So yes, she does have a lot of secondaries. They are fairly accurate, they have a long range, and they reload quickly. So, very good. A defense, pretty average. Survivability has 69,200 points, which I believe is around average for the tier, if not a little, little high. Around average, though. It, it's sufficient. Fires will burn for 60 seconds. Have a burn uh, probability reduction at 36.6%. Damage per second of fire is 208, and the total damage per fire is 12,000 damage. Flooding will have... You can have up to two floods, uh... The damage reduction for torpedoes is going to be 22%, which is average if on the low side. Actually, it's a little on the low side. Uh, preferably see that, like to see that a little higher. DPS per flood is 346, and the total damage per flood is 13,000. Uh, concealment is not great at 15.89 kilometers base uh, from the sea and from air of 11.74 kilometers. The maximum speed is good, very good, at 31 knots. The turning circle radius is 850 meters, which is fairly tight for a battleship her size, and the rudder shift time is an impressive 16 seconds. She comes with standard damage control party, damage repair, uh, damage standard repair party, which has a point, not 0.5% uh, HP per second, reload time of 80 seconds, and a consumable action time of 28 seconds. She has a choice of a spotter plane or a fighter aircraft. Spotter plane, which I recommend going with, has a main barrier firing range increase of 20%, four charges, 240 second reload time, action time of 100 seconds. And she does also come with hydroacoustic search. See, she is the first German battleship in the tier, or in a traditional German battleship to get this uh, this consumable exists from tier 8 upwards. She has detec detection of ships from 5 kilometers away, detection of torpedoes from 3.5 kilometers away, 3 consumables, 120 second action time, and no, 120 second reload time, uh, 100 second action time. So, what, uh, what uh, upgrades do we recommend on this ship? Well, there's a few different ways you can take this. You can go with the typical build, or the, with the uh, appropriate build air quotes um and you can go with a survivability build but that's no fun i have never built a german battleship out that way because then it's just kind of a crappy normal battleship what really makes the german battleship shine is going full secondary build so now with the first upgrade slot i 
I don't know if I recommend going with uh, secondary armaments or main armaments. I, I typically go with secondary armaments, but I hear some people just like to keep their main guns firing. But uh, if you do go for a full secondary build, it is recommended going auxiliary armaments uh, to increase your uh, main battery or secondary battery survivability because of the fact that um, if you lose, a, because they will get knocked out fairly easy without this, and then you lose your effectiveness at close range. So I'm going secondary battery mod. Um, I'm probably going hydroacoustic search modification. Uh, one, this is that special arm, uh, upgrade from the uh, armory, just because, uh, yeah, just because it's very useful. Um, and it allows your uh, consumable action time to go up by 20%, which means that you'll have equal action time and equal uh, reload time, so 120 seconds for each. Um, as far as upgrades in the third slot, we're going with um, uh, secondary battery modification one. That's a no-brainer. Uh, we're going to go with damage control system modification two, and then we're going to go uh, with um, uh, consumable systems modification one in the next slot just to get that consumer down a little bit. I mean, you could go with Torpedo Lookout System, but you literally have near, not, not near constant, but you have Hydro, so I don't know why you would go with that. Uh, and then we're gonna go with um, probably Preventative Maintenance, because we did not take Main Battery Modification 1. This is the Commander Skills, by the way, uh, in case you didn't notice. We're not gonna use IFHE, because it's pointless, because it's a German ship. Uh, you could go with Vigilance to give you some more um, Torpedo uh, Damage Reduction, but I'm going with Priority Target. Uh, after that, I am going to forget Adrenaline Rush. I'm going with Long Range Secondary Battery Shells, because we want 12 kilometer Secondaries. And then we're going to be going with uh, Secondary Battery Aiming for a 10-point Commander, because this allows us to... Uh, uh, this allows you to uh, reduce the maximum, maximum secondary battery dispersion, secondary battery reload time, and uh, reduces the maximum secondary battery shell dispersion when fired at a priority target by 50%. So you effectively have a 60% buff to your secondary battery accuracy by taking this skill. Then we're going to come back and take Adrenaline Rush. Um, and after that, I mean, you could take uh, Close Quarters Combat. However, I really recommend Emergency Repair Expert or Fire Prevention. Uh, concealment, really not super useful here. I'm gonna go basics of survivability after that. Actually, no, I'm gonna go basics of survivability first, then emergency repair expert, and then, um, then I'll go with, uh, demolition expert for just that last extra point there. I mean, you could go with emergency repair expert, but it's not really that useful. Flags, we're gonna take all of them. We're going Juliet Charlie, India Yankee, Juliet Yankee Bissetu, India Delta, Sierra Mike, November Foxtrot, you, uh, Mike Yankee Sostix. And um, then we're gonna go with Sierra Bravo. So we're buffing, uh, we're ensuring we don't have a magazine detonation, buffing damage, uh, fire recovery time, buffing flooding recovery time, buffing healing, buffing speed, buffing consumable recharge time, uh, buffing secondaries further. That's, that flag is mandatory. If you're gonna play this ship, you must buy those flags, without a doubt, to get that final secondary battery range out of it. And then we're gonna go Sierra Bravo to in uh, increase the duration and decrease the cooldown time of our hydroacoustic search, which makes the Bismarck a very formidable ship um so with this uh modification we're gonna have a 34.7 second duration on our fire yeah so this is going to allow us to only take 7200 damage from a fire and from flooding we'll have 8000 total damage per flood and only have a duration of 23.1 seconds which is better than cruisers our base um 
or almost better than cruisers are base. Our concealment goes down to just 14 kilometers. And now we have a hydroacoustic search duration of 132 seconds and a reload time of just 114 seconds. Our heal now gives us point, not 0.6% uh, uh, HP buff, has a reload time of down to 76 seconds and an action time of up to 30.8 seconds. Our uh, considerable action time for the damage control is up to 16.5 seconds and down to uh, 76 seconds for the reload. And our secondaries have become absolutely insane. Uh, the secondary uh, armament here has uh, now, for the 150s, has a reload time of just 6 seconds and 2.86 seconds on the 105s. They now are going to have an accuracy of just 182 meters dispersion at nearly 12 kilometers, 11.5 to be exact, uh, which is pretty amazing. Now, you'll only be penning 26 millimeters armor on the 105, so you could take IFHE if you wanted to instead of taking priority target because you know everyone's going to be shooting you anyways. Um, although I really, uh, don't recommend it because it just kills your fire chance. Now, if you take that, you have a 3.5% chance of fire on your 105s and a 5% chance of fire on your 150s. Although you will pen 32 with the, uh, with the secondaries, uh, minimum and 47 with the large secondaries. So I guess, yeah, you, you could take that if you wanted to because priority target really isn't useful on this ship. So I, I revert my judgment on that. Um, yeah, so it's, uh... It gets pretty insane with the secondaries. Um, this ship is at close range when it's not being farmed by a high explosive from 20 kilometers away. It is an absolute nightmare to deal with. Um, I mean, this has survivability, crazy amounts of survivability. It has pretty much everything you need to just absolutely wreck people in brawls. And while technically, maybe, one could argue, not as good as the Turpets at close range due to its lack of torpedoes, it does have hydroacoustic search, which is what the Turpets lacks, and allows it to more effectively uh, compete against destroyers and charge smoke screens with uh, relative impunity. Now, obviously, a lot of people choose to ignore that, so that's where they, they go wrong, but, um, yeah. So this ship is, I mean, it's great, really. It, it I mean, at long range, it can suffer sometimes from uh, weird armor arrangements uh, that are weird armor geometry that uh, is created by its weird uh, high not high explosive um uh, what did I say high explosive by its turtleback armor scheme which I forgot to mention uh, yeah this thing is nearly impossible to sit it out at close range now it can take large amounts of high explosive chunk or not well yeah high explosive and armor piercing chunk damage but it will not be citadel uh, unless it does an about turn and um, it reveals a little bit below the turtleback sometimes it can do uh, sometimes that happens and you can citadel it but um, yeah, so if you're in a knife fight, they'll be able to do a lot of damage to you, but it's unlikely that that damage would kill you if you're on any sufficient amount of health. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is an amazing ship. Now, how do you play this? Do you just charge straight at the enemy and hope for the best? Absolutely not. You'll get melted. Um, because this thing is, due to the large superstructure, is highly vulnerable to uh, high explosive spam. Actually, that's the worst nightmare of the um, uh, Bismarck is just getting penned through the superstructure to oblivion uh, by both armor-piercing shells and high explosive shells. Um, you typically want to stay like in between B and C cap. If we're assuming um, domination or uh, 
the arms race here, where the B and C cap would be, or the A and B cap would be, you want to kind of sit in between there, not super close range, just maybe at the maximum range of your secondaries. That's pretty much it for the beginning of the battle. You just want to sit there, keep your guns firing, like your gun, your main guns, fire them constantly. Don't wait for good shots because it doesn't matter because the guns aren't that accurate. Just keep them firing. You rely on getting as many shells downrange as possible in the shortest amount of time possible. So that's what I really recommend with this. Now, when the enemy, sh you, you want to kind of conserve your your health pool, but don't under any circumstances go on the J line and just snipe there until the battle's almost over, because then you'll lose because you'll just get focused uh, once your team's dead. You want to support your destroyers, but you don't want to go super close right away. As the light cruisers start to die and things like that, and the destroyers start to die, then you make your move probably about seven or so minutes into the game you come out to play you come out to engage your get battleships at as close range as possible and just smash them into oblivion that is the german play style for most of these battleships you use your superior survivability and armor scheme to maintain it while still maintaining angle to fire upon your enemies at close range and shower them with secondary battery fun um this play style generally is pretty successful um Sometimes you just get spammed from long range and then you just die that way. That does happen. It is, I want to say so far as a feast or famine, but it is definitely not going to be great all the time. But there will, there will be times when you'll just smash everyone in the battle, just get absurd damage numbers. And that makes the bad times definitely worth it in the ship. As far as countering this ship, engage it from long range with high explosive arm, armament and uh, saturate the superstructure. Fire upon the superstructure until it's saturated, and then try to go for the bow or the stern and get some fires on that before. It can, once you get some fires on it and the damage cons, try to get fires on it again, and then farm the uh, upper belt with armor piercing. Uh, if you're given anything that resembles a broadside, uh, that will surely reduce it to low enough health that you can probably get it from. Uh, you can just get it by continuing to fire at it, unless it's clever enough to angle or scores a few lucky hits on you or something like that if you're a light cruiser. Um, just beware, it does have 6km hydro, so you cannot smoke up in front of it and try to get torps on it at close range. It will just spot you in your smoke screen and will begin to fire upon you. Um, so that is, that, that's how you deal with the ship. Uh, high explosive, long range, and I mean, you could literally just high explosive this, uh, shoot high explosive this thing until it's dead, but the more effective way is high explosive until you get the superstructure saturated, bow and stern until you get a fire, you get like two fires going, and then start fire, um, then it will inevitably damage control, then you get more fires going, and then you farm uh, armor piercing or sap if you have it um, on the upper belt, because that's going to not be saturated, it's going to be very hard to saturate that, and you'll just continue to get like full pens on it, and uh, yeah, that usually ends a Bismarck uh, pretty, I don't want to say pretty quickly, but pretty effectively, uh, with taking the minimum damage in return. Uh, to avoid that with the Bismarck, while well, playing the Bismarck, you don't go in open water because when that starts happening to you, you're supposed to be by island, so you can just back up behind the island, heal up, and then wait for not not like sit there and wait for the enemy team, your team to deal with them, but wait till your team starts focusing them, and then go out and then start to you know assist. And then not saying camp behind islands, don't do that, but just use them as shelter, using them to turn around behind, so you're not controlling broadside long range because that's when this thing will get citadeled is at long range because the armor is angled at a point that where plunging shells tend to plunge straight through the uh, instead of being ricocheted by the citadel, they tend to plunge straight through it and into the citadel so you definitely want to use them to turn around if you find it's too hot um if it is too hot just uh 
basically you're just going to turn around, sit angled, and go at like quarter to half speed and just try and stall as long as you can. Often this is successful enough. Sometimes I've held whole flanks in my Pomeran like this. I imagine a Bismarck would uh, be just a less extreme version of this. Would You can hold whole flanks with this and um, then hopefully your, enemy, your team will be good enough to sweep around the other side, and then you can turn back around and engage. Uh, if you're the pushing flank, well, well push, if that's what it is. If there's a few high explosive spammers on the enemy team on your flank, then just push. Don't wait around. Uh, if the situation looks right to push, if you think you have the advantage, definitely push it, because if you wait too long, you won't have the advantage again, and your team will lose. Uh, yeah, so a single good Bismarck player can often turn the tide of the battle. Not not totally sometimes. Sometimes the team is so bad that they can't be carried by Bismarck. But Bismarck is definitely a good ship to carry in. And I think that's it for today. I think that's all I have on the Bismarck. It's truly an amazing ship in World of Warships. I don't think... I mean, it's a bit a bit power crept, but I still think... I mean, after seeing the Schlieffen line being played and playing against them and realizing how squishy those ships actually are, there is still a place for German battleships in this game. Yes, the Schlieffen has, technically has better secondaries. Yes, it has torpedoes. But it gets chunked to oblivion, and if it favors very short duels. If the duel's not short, it'll just get DPM'd to death and uh, won't really do much. However, the Bismarck line certainly can deal with a prolonged duel and they can deal with a very intense prolonged duel and that is the strength that i believe nothing in world of warships has really come close to capping yeah i mean yes you can point to the soviet battleships and say that they just soak up huge amounts of damage and they do but they don't really deal out that much damage yes they have high caliber main battery guns but they have crap secondaries um and uh, their gun main battery guns are not that accurate their armor on the broadside is absolute crap and, um, yeah, so if you get it on the broadside, you can you can kill it really easily. If you get a battleship, German battleship on the broadside, unless you have really big main battery guns and you can, uh, or are from long range, it, it's difficult to deal with them. Substantially more difficult than just citadeling a Kremlin in a Des Moines uh, from close range. Or, or a Petro, you know, whatever suits your fancy. But that's it for uh, that's for for Bismarck's World of Warships section today. Uh, if you do have any other sec uh, suggestions for uh, uh, ships of, for me to do, I would be glad to review them. Although I may not be able to do them because I do have a lot of ships lined up to uh, uh, do episodes on. So it may be a li little while before I can actually get around to your suggestions. But I will definitely do my best to do so. Uh, if you would like to provide suggestions, just email me, rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. Or there's a little uh, feedback button in uh, Spotify and Anchor on my uh, page there for you to provide me some feedback. And I, I do check that. Um, just know that I will be going up the, the uh, Japanese battleship line and doing all those historical ships. I may not do an episode on the Ismo because it's not historical and I have a bunch of historical ships lined up to do. I did get the burn. That was a huge mistake. Uh, this is the Tier 6 uh, French carrier. Uh, just... <laughs> I'm not good at carriers. It's not the Burn. The Burn's a really good ship. It's just... I, sh I shouldn't have bought that. I did get a bunch of balloons from a super container and only had to spend six bucks on it, so I guess uh, it wasn't wasn't too bad of an investment. I did get the Mines B. People are like, you got the Mines B uh, and the Mines? Why would you do that? No, I didn't actually have the Mines, and the Mines B was cheaper than Mines, so I got the Mines B. And it's the same thing. It's awesome. Mines is lovely. I'm going to be doing an episode on that, too. And I did get the Forest German, as I said before. Uh, initial impressions of that ship? The DPM 
while is effect or the theoretical DPM is pretty high or very high I should say the actual DPM I find to be kind of I guess I had really high expectations for this ship and I've only played a few battles in it so I should really wait to reserve judgment but it doesn't seem super duper amazing not like Harugama levels like because of the weird dispersion of three guns it doesn't it it's good in certain situations, we'll say that. Sometimes when a battleship is angled, you find yourself doing basically no damage to it, and that can be a bit disappointing because you don't really have any other sources of damage. I mean, although the torpedoes are surprisingly good, even though they're fixed, they're surprisingly easy to use and very good. Uh, torpedoes are gearing torps. But I should stop rambling. I'm going on almost two hours right now, so um, I will catch you all guys or catch all you guys in the next episode. And until next time, captains. 